You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. All right, welcome in to the Sports Objective, uh, to TSO, the podcast for Pirates. With us, Bubba Rosenbaum right now is producing. We appreciate him very much. Matt Semenza, what's up? Natty Ice. What's going on, fellas? Always good to be here. Always love having David Glenn on the show. Um, you know, David, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge. Here's my strategy for tonight. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm okay. going to ask you a million questions about the tournament. Yeah. And then when this show's over, I'm going to go pick my bracket based on your knowledge. <laughs> All right. So please don't let me down, TG. <laughs> it's good to see you again, Matt. I will do my best. <laughs> With us right now, for of course, from the David Glenn Show and professor at UNC Wilmington, Chapelboro.com, columnist David Glenn. DG, always so much fun to have you here. A great visit we have. In fact, when we have DG, we've learned only to have one guest because he can carry the whole show. How are yeah. you? It's great to see you, Dave. It's easier to be the guest than it is to be the host. I'll tell you that after 20 plus years of hosting, I just kick back and have fun with you guys. It's a much easier job description. Yeah, I wanted to have you on because the tournament, it's hard to believe the tournament is here. And um, by the way, I want to give a shout out to the Lady Pirates. I was there on Sunday night and um, man, oh man, oh man, I have never been like so in like suspense. They waited to almost towards the end of the selection show. And I was telling everybody, I said, you know, the great thing about the Pirates is we knew the Lady Pirates were going to be in. It was a matter of where. But can you imagine if our team was on the bubble and we were like, are they going to get in or not? But uh, they ended up obviously doing extremely well. I love Kim McNeil, her husband, Corey, Steve, all the all the coaches. Uh, I know them pretty well and um, not well, but being media wise. And they came in here. They've done everything the right way and they were struggling. As far as, you know, people were saying all kinds of excuses. Oh, oh, man, they play so such hard defense. That's why the ladies can't shoot this, that, and the other, making excuses. And here we are. We find them playing Saturday night in Austin against the Longhorns. And, hey, anything's possible. That's what's great about the tournament, David, is March Madness. And, you know, if you're Oral Roberts, you could beat Duke. Um, we can go on all the different examples of, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's possible. They've got a great player. And, um, you know, you look at um, – with Carolina, I was just talking to you before. I've seen so many – I have not seen so many posts in my life on social media, especially Facebook, with Carolina fans that are not happy they're not going to the NIT. I've read so many over the last few days. And I know you said um, in the green room there's a lot of reasons why they didn't go. Yeah, and we've seen a little bit of everything when it comes to these tournaments, right? We saw NC State on the bubble, but the Wolfpack got in. We saw those ECU Pirates on the women's side waiting and waiting and waiting, but they're in, of course. And now they have a big challenge ahead. The Clemson Tigers on the men's side thought they were in, but weren't. So we've seen all the emotions. And the Tar Heels, of course, have a whole different set of emotions because they just became, in modern basketball history, 
meaning the last 40-plus years of college hoops, the only preseason number one team ever to miss the NCAA tournament. And they were among the first four out, which means they were kind of close. But you know they were still the first number one ever to miss the big dance. And it's such an unusual resume now for that group of players and also a coach like Hubert Davis. I try to remind people, both things are true. Hubert Davis is both the national coach of the year from one year ago and the author of one of the biggest disappointments in Carolina basketball history. So he's the author of both one of the most unexpected thrilling runs in the history of Carolina basketball in March Madness, but he's also the author of one of the greatest face plants and disappointments in the history. And he's only had two years. He already has both of those things on his resume and that group of players does as well. So uh, I think they're, they were tired of each other to a degree. They were tired of the outside noise and criticism. Uh, they were, in some cases, making decisions about where they're going to play next. We already know of at least two, the last I saw, Tar Heels, who are in the transfer portal. Uh, and there was, there was weird chemistry on the court all season, uh, some weird chemistry accusations off the court. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who does finalize a decision to come back and how many guys choose to leave. But I watched the body language of that team at times. And, for example, a Caleb, a Caleb Love sometimes looked like he didn't want to be out there. Hmm. And hmm. supposedly Caleb was one of the players that voted to play in the NIT. You know, it, it, it was a secret ballot, so we're not really sure who voted which way. But if there was ever a team to just pull the plug – because Hubert Davis needs to check the transfer portal, which is already going on, uh, rather than preparing for a mostly meaningless NIT game. Uh, and guys want to move on with their lives. This was probably the team that I would have most understood choosing to pull the plug. I've seen the criticism. Former college coach Tom Penders was yeah. among who absolutely ripped the Tar Heels. He went a little bit too far. Like <laughs> there is no NCAA rule that allows you to fine a team for not taking an NIT bet. Coach Penders, you got you to you know, grab a glass of red wine, man. Chill out a little bit. You're a little, you're entitled to your criticism, but you can't start making up rules. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a sensitive issue. It's an emotional time because the Tar Heel fans have gone gone from both that amazing run and those two huge wins in Mike Shashevsky's last year to the repeated embarrassment of being a team that fell so dramatically short of expectations. And DG, as a matter of fact, it was funny because last year I heard so much about the rivalry is over with between Duke and North Carolina. <laughs> and it's gone from, yeah, okay, Coach K lost to Cameron the last game to Carolina, lost ACT tournament to Virginia Tech, lost the Final Four to Carolina. But – now, Duke won both games this year. They didn't even make the tournament with North Carolina. And so now, if and uh, here's another thing, too. I know who you – we'll save this to later on. I know who you said you want for the national championship. But if Duke wins the national championship, does that put more pressure on Hubert Davis? Well, of course it does. He's going to have a lot of pressure no matter what John Shire does at Duke. But if John Shire wins the NCAA title in his first year as Mike Krzyzewski's successor, that's the ultimate one-upmanship, right? Because Hubert Davis is a rookie head coach. It's on his resume. He had one of the greatest seasons of any rookie head coach, not just in Carolina history, in the history of college basketball. 
there aren't many rookie head coaches who went all the way to the national championship game, and Hubert Davis did that last year. I personally don't think this group at Duke, while dangerous, I don't think they're going to get John Shire that title. I don't even think they're going to make the Final Four. But they certainly have a lot of NBA talent. Uh, they're, they've certainly become the hottest team in the ACC. I was there in Greensboro as they won the ACC championship. They've won, I think it's nine games in a row now. Yeah. So John Shire has done his most important job, which is have a team that's playing its best basketball at the right time at the end of the year. Hubert Davis passed that test in his first year. He miserably failed that test in his second year. Tar Heels weren't any better. Late, maybe defensively they were better, but offensively they were completely dysfunctional down the stretch. Um, and, and part of that, of course, goes back to the head coach. So give John Shire a lot of credit this year, uh, just like we gave deservingly Hubert Davis a lot of credit last year um, because those guys, both of their rookie seasons, no matter how, many, how Shire's ends, he's still going to be the ACC champion as a first-year head coach at Duke. So even if they don't go as far as some of the Devils fans hope, uh, that's still a heck of a debut for John Shire, just as Hubert Davis ended up with a heck of a debut last year. Yeah. So, so DG, I wanted to ask, since we're talking about Duke here, why don't we go ahead and use this as a segue to look at this first-round matchup, which to me is a really interesting game, Duke versus Oral Roberts. You have uh, Max Amos, who you know we, we've all seen go off in the tournament before. Yeah. He's a 22-point-per-game uh, scorer. Obviously, a dynamic player. When I look at upsets in the first round, Oral Roberts is a team that kind of jumps off the page to me. Um, however, Duke's going to know very well what they're all about this year. There's not going to be any surprises with Oral Roberts. So, what are your thoughts on that first round matchup, DJ? I would pick Duke if my life depended on it, but I feel your vibe on the dangerous task that Oral Roberts presents. You know, because of their experience, because of their star power, a 5-12 matchup, you know, I mean, it's not like an eight versus nine seed coin flip, but it's certainly nothing like 15 versus two or 16 versus one where there's the occasional miracle, but we mostly know who's going to win those games. 12 versus five in modern college basketball is a closer call than most people think. Um, because Duke has been on such a roll and their confidence is sky high, even though it's a popular up, upset pick, I do think Duke will survive that matchup. Uh, Jeremy Roach, the veteran guard, in their times of stress, seems to come up with a big play. Derek Lively, who entered college basketball as one of the top two or three ranked high school players in America and really was quiet for half of his freshman year. I mean, even now, he's still more of a, a rebounder and shot blocker. His offensive game has not come along yet. But he's a valuable player as Duke is playing really good defense. Uh, and that's going to apply to Oral Roberts or anybody else who ventures into that lane. You are look, you're dealing with a future first-round NBA draft pick in Derek Lively. Uh, hmm. And they have other guys, Filipowski, et cetera, who can help with the offensive end. So it's nothing against Oral Roberts. I actually think, and I cover the ACC for a living, I actually think the only ACC team that could make a significant run this time is Duke Miami. One of Miami's best players is coming off a serious ankle injury. They could win a couple games. I just don't think they could go farther than that. And then, you know, it's only a five bid league this year. The ACC only got five in. So 
Pitt won the other night. We'll see how the Panthers do. The Wolfpack is in, but that's another difficult matchup. They have the Pack has Creighton in the first mm. round. That's just not going to be easy. And Speaking. and as much as I respect Virginia and, and love Tony Bennett, I just don't think they have the offensive firepower to make a long run this year. So it's crazy, guys. ACC fans are talking about how the league is just going to shock uh, all the naysayers with a, a great postseason here. What they forget is two years ago, the ACC had a bad regular season and they followed it up with the worst NCAA tournament by the ACC since the 1970s. The the ACC collectively had a losing record in the big dance two years ago. So it was bad regular season, bad postseason. Last year was the weird bad regular season. And then there's Miami and Duke and Carolina all in the Elite Eight and the Devils and the Heels playing each other in the Final Four. So they turned that frown upside down entirely. They changed the narrative completely. This year, maybe I'll be wrong. I just don't think the ACC is all that great this year. Mm-hmm. And Duke might be the exception, but I don't have anybody in the ACC from the ACC in the final four. And I don't say that very often when I pick up, pick my brackets. And just really quick, Duke is a six point favorite in that game, fellas, against mm-hmm. Oral Roberts. By the way, thank you, Bubba. He put up on the, I don't know if you saw DG, Moorhead State 58, Clemson 55. A couple minutes ago, it was 225 left at Little John. Tigers are 15 and one at home. So a close game there. We'll see how they they make out. I That was, to me, the biggest travesty. I think I could get the Carolina, why they didn't make it. But I thought Clemson definitely should be in. I'm not a ACC expert like UDG, but... Um, Clemson of, of old, I'll tell you what they used to do. Clemson of old used to pad their 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 games. They used to have all these cupcakes, this side of maybe a church league team. I mean, it was really bad. And they'd be like 15-0, 16-0, and all of a sudden they'd have to play the ACC schedule. And they went from being way up there in wins to they would do that. Now, they've, I mean, they've done very well this year, and I just don't understand – uh, why they did not make it. Maybe you can help me out, DG. But Clemson. Well, they were one of those last four or first four out, I guess they call them. Yeah. Uh, so they were very close. But the bottom line to me, Dave, became as simple as this might sound, you need two or more signature victories okay. most of the time to get into the NCAA tournament. So you would have to beat, you know, a Duke and a Miami or a Virginia and a Duke or maybe you beat a prominent team in non-conference play. But the ACC really only had Duke, UVA, and Miami. Those were your shots for signature victories. Clemson only got one. And Clemson's non-conference schedule included some nice wins, but also some ugly losses. So the combination of one signature victory, which is the same as the Tar Heels, actually. Tar Heels' only great win all year was Virginia. Virginia. Their second best win was... You know, a Charleston, which is a nice win. But what's Charleston, a 10 seed or 11 seed? You know, they had some nice wins. Nice wins are great to supplement your resume. Your resume has to start with just a couple of really good wins. Neither Clemson nor Carolina had two or more signature wins, and that's what cost them. And in the Tigers' case, they had too many bad losses to go with only one signature win. I felt bad because I respect Brad Brownell a lot. I thought he squeezed everything that that team had to give out of that team. 
He's a heck of a coach. But uh, I, I thought maybe the Tigers des- deserved Nevada's spot. That was one team that I, I didn't see. I didn't see their resume really much better than Clemson's. Um, and, of course, the, what, what you hear from Clemson fans is, hey, wait a minute. State and Pitt got in. We were 4-0 and against State and Pitt. Right. But the, the selection committee just doesn't look at head-to-head stuff like that, uh, except in very unusual cases. I've been on a couple of mock selection committees to better understand how the process works. And at no point are they looking at Pitt, Clemson, and NC State saying Clemson is 4-0 and against these other two. It just doesn't work that way. Kind of work your way down the bracket and – Almost never does that head-to-head stuff come into play. Um, so I feel bad for Clemson. It hurts the ACC. Money is tied to all these bids and all these wins. It does impact the size of the check you get from the NCAA. Uh, so the league hurt just as the Tigers were hurting. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, a lot of coaches will say, if you really want to show you're the team that belonged in the NCAA tournament, go win the NIT. Otherwise, you know, your your argument is not going to stand up. And and I don't know if that's true, but uh, I understand the sentiment behind that. David, as you, you know, as you look around this field of 64 and, and let's just throw the number one seeds out for a second. Let's just okay. remove them from the equation here. Is there a team in the field that, that really uh, kind of jumps out at you that you think has a chance to win a national championship? Yeah. One is UConn. Uh, I like it. I like it. I see much more of the ACC, you know, just to be candid, more than I see of anything else. You can only watch so many games. But UConn has a young guard named Jordan Hawkins who will be a first-round NBA draft pick. And, you know, we've all used or heard the cliche, you got to have good guards in March, right? And it is so true. You you know, the clock, the shot clock is winding down. Whatever your set play – idea was didn't work and somebody's just got to make a play like Mm -hmm. at some point if you're going to win a national championship you need the dude that can get a bucket on his own and that's what that guy is and I think they're well coached by Hurley Uh, I thought they were very good in Big East play this season Uh, so I think they're only what a four seed Mm, I actually have UConn in my final four as a four seed uh, and I do think that they are one of the the lower seeds capable of winning it all. I do remind people that top three seeds win almost 90% of NCAA titles. It's a crazy statistic. It always sticks in my head, mm. which means there are not many fours. You know, Villanova once won as an eight seed. When I was a young guy growing up in Philly, Villanova won as an eight seed. That's the lowest seed ever to win the NCAA tournament. There haven't been a lot of fours or fives or sixes or sevens either. So it's a rarity, but if it was going to happen below the three line this year, I, I think the UConn Huskies have the best chance to pull it off. Can I, can I, can I agree with you here? Because <laughs> first of all, you know, I, I, you know, I live in Connecticut, so I get to see a lot of UConn. Oh, cool. Um, Sonogo is a tremendous forward, tremendous forward. The offense tends to run through him when you watch them play. And then, you know, UConn has a true seven footer, a freshman Klingon, uh, who, who is going to be an absolute monster. Uh, you know, as long as he's in college, he's going to be a surefire NBA player. Um, 
And obviously you mentioned Hawkins who Hawkins never saw a shot. He didn't like, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a gunner. He's a gunner. He's looking to get up shots and, um, and, and he'll put them up early and often. And, and it's really interesting. You know, you look at Tristan Newton, who's, who's a very dynamic player. Yeah. He's Dude. not used as a scorer on that team. Tristan Newton, our boy, Dave, our boy. He's used You know, he's more of a facilitator in this offense. So I agree with you. They're a team, you know, they came very close to beating Marquette in the Big East uh, there, in the Big East tournament. Yeah. Um, and if you look at UConn in the non-conference early in the season, guess what? Wins over Alabama. Wins over Oregon um, and, and several others that I can't remember off the top of my head, but those are some big non-conference wins. So that's a team right there. Well, Alabama is a heck of a win, man, because that's a yeah. really good team. Yeah. Uh, Iowa yeah. State, I think they beat way back. That's a pretty good team. Creighton is a good team that I know yeah. they beat at some point. Uh, maybe they split with Creighton, but it's also it seems like a hot team too. UConn. I mean, I know they lost to Marquette, but. They won a whole bunch of games down the stretch in uh, conference play. Uh, and Marquette, by the way, is also in my final four. So it's, there's no yeah. embarrassment to lose to Marquette. So we'll see. I mean, this is, this is I call it an educated guessing game. All, you guys are in this business, like your friends and relatives, and call, call you and text you and say, oh, man, you guys are all over sports. Help me win my office pool. Yeah. You know, we try our best, but, you know, sometimes you feel like you could lose to the the grandma who's picking because of the dominant mascot theory That's, or something like that, you know? Yeah, my That's daughter, just how it goes. My daughter picks a team who's going to win a team based on a, if it's an animal mascot or not. <laughs> so if it's an animal mascot, she's all for that. She asked me, who's playing daddy when we're watching a ball game like basketball? And who are they? And when I tell them, and she said, oh, yeah, I'm pulling for them. And it's always, I'm like, got to go with the animal. So, um, you know, I, I know of a fact when, you know, like pick them games to the NFL years ago. And there was a restaurant and bar I used to go to. Uh, and they had it every week and you turn your sheet in and you had to write down which. There was a bartender one time that literally picked. This is no lie. She looked at the two names of the cities. She said which city she would want to go to more than the other. And she won like a hundred bucks. <laughs> these are these are humbling stories, but they can happen. I, I think expertise can help you beat the average, but expertise is certainly no guarantee that you're going to win your office pool. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, you have no a don't you have a challenge? Don't you have a bracket challenge uh, uh, there at Chapelboro.com? You know, because I go to the office so rarely, I'm not sure if they have one. Oh, okay. Well, at this stage of my career, I like freelance relationships where I don't have a desk to report to. So <laughs> odds are they have a bracket at chapelboro.com and 97.9 The Hill, the radio station there. Um, and I love all those folks, but I don't see them all that often. I guess in today's world, you could just, you know, you could just email your bracket in. But it, it, there's something about the, the in-person, so even buying blocks, if you guys have ever done that, the, the buying blocks of for some NCAA tournament fun as well. But yeah, I have my bracket, but uh, it's it's just with some old friends from my childhood. Hey, one more interesting point, fellas, about that UConn game. First round matchup against Iona. Yeah. And 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 we all know who's the coach for Iona right now. The future St. John's head coach. The future, or Georgetown, right? I'm hearing. So I think I think hey, it's gonna be up in your neck of the woods, Matt, but that's a whole nother show. 
Rick Rick Patino, in my opinion, is maybe one of the top top five basketball coaches of all time in college. So he's a guy that can win any game. He's going to have Iona ready to play. I think that's going to be a really good competitive first round game. And you got to and you got to think about it. That guy is going to be in the Big East next year, like you said. I think it's uh, if you had a choice, David. Uh, this is a sidebar question, real quick, between Patino and you're the agent, do you tell him to go to St. John's or Georgetown? I just think he fits in St. John's very well there in Manhattan. Yeah, he's a New York City guy. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Yeah, I, really- I got nothing I got nothing against Georgetown or D.C. or anything, but um, – and I, gr- I grew up in Philly on the Big East culture. So I I remember John Thompson at Georgetown and oh, yeah. you know Louis Carnesecca at St. John's and I watched Roly Massimino win the national title title at Villanova in 1985 as a young high school guy, um, meaning I was the high school guy. Um, so I, I loved that culture. I still remember the the hair the the history and the um, the nostalgia behind those programs, even though they've hit on harder times lately. But, yeah, I, th- I think Patino is just a New York guy. And I agree with you, Matt. You know, if my life depended on winning a college basketball game, and I say this even as somebody who has, has had personal relationships with Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams and Dean Smith, and I have interviewed, you know, so many other Hall of Famers, I think if my life depended on it, I would take Rick Patino. Interesting. And, and that's about Very as high a compliment as I can give of somebody's coaching ability. That's that's a tremendous pick. Wow. Uh, you know, that's that's uh and you know, the thing about Patino, he's won at so many places. I mean, he started his career at Providence. He won at yeah. Louisville. He obviously won big at Kentucky. He's doing great things at Iona. Um and, and you know, he's probably going to finish his career, you know, in the Big East like like Dave mentioned. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a heck of a pick. You can't go wrong with that. In fact, uh people were asking when whenever coach Lebo resigned in, in 2017, November 17, there were some people who say, if you knew that you could get Rick Patino to come, because there was like some speculation rumors going around. And even if, let's say, that something bad happens and there is a, you know, like scandal going on, would you take it? And there were a lot of Pirate fans. That's how desperate we are, DG, to win yeah. basketball. They said if there's problems like, let's just say, well, it's a family show, like what happened in Louisville, you know, whatever. But if you were like had a two or three year ban, I wouldn't go that far as far as, uh, tournament ban where you get on probation would you do it a lot of pirate fans basketball wise said they would do it because hey at least you would have we would have a nice run in the tournament or we would have at least make yeah. the tournament um 30 years without a tournament appearance i don't know what the record is dg but um i, I would think we would be way up there with east carolina on that well we're in a state we now have 19 division one men's basketball programs and I believe three of them have never been wow. to the big dance. So at least you don't, at least you're not in that category. ECU has been there twice, if I remember correctly. That's correct. 72. But that is a long drought. There's no doubt about it. If you're, if, if your fondest, most recent memory of the NCAA tournament is 1993, uh, we are now 30 years past that marker. That's Must a long, long time. It still beats never. I think it's Elon has never been there. High Point University has never been there. And a brand new program, Queens University in the city of Charlotte. They're not even eligible for the tournament yet, so it's almost unfair to count them. But they just became Division I. 
So, yeah, everybody else has been there at least once, but there are some schools that have been there only one time, and it's been a long a – long, Campbell was in its conference title game this year. And Campbell, if I remember correctly, has only been to one NCAA tournament 92. ever. And it was, it was you knew you knew the year. Yeah, it was uh, the first round they played Duke with Billy Lee. Billy Lee was the head coach, and so they've had a drought similar to the length of ECU's drought. So you're not alone, I guess. If misery loves company, there you have it. <laughs> Bubba wasn't even born, fellas. The last time we <laughs> made the NCAA, <laughs> the young buck. <laughs> well, now he's about six 81. eight, so things change. Yeah, yeah, he, he's grown a lot since then. But uh, anyway, as far as we're talking about the tournament. I did have one more thing, guys, that I was really upset by. And DG, you actually, I know, know more about it because being an ACC insider, he was there in 1993. So somehow he was born. Now he was like 12. He was like 12 whenever that, honestly, he was like um, 12 years old when that happened. But anyway, that um, the fact that Jim Beheim was he pushed out, it just feels like, and I, to me, that would be the same thing as a, a, Mike Krzyzewski pushed out at Duke or a Dean Smith yep. pushed out at Carolina. The man gave a lot of time and I'm not a bait. I don't care. Like he was making fun of Greensboro. So I could care less about Bayheim. Um, but I do think professionally speaking that Syracuse fans don't know what they had and they pushed him out and thinking that you want to talk about, I don't know what they have coming next year. But be careful what you wish for. You may think that Beheim is mediocre or he's not, he's lost his touch, but they could be even worse than what Beheim was doing, in my opinion. I could be wrong on that. Well, it was time for a change there. Putting aside opinions, and of course I have mine as well, but Jim Beheim was 78 years old. He was the oldest head coach in the history of Division I men's college basketball. So that's that's not even opinion. That's just the fact. Like if you're 78, man, there's going to be an annual question about your retirement. And there had been for him for about a decade. You guys may recall about a decade ago, there was actually a head coach in waiting on Jim Beheim's staff a decade ago. The guy got so tired of waiting, he took the Washington job. He just because because it was year after year after year. And then eventually Jim Beheim signed his son. And then he had a second son on the team, right? You knew, you knew he wasn't going to retire in the middle of coaching his sons. So, you know, the, it's funny, Dave. I was there in Greensboro at the ACC tournament. This is one – I've been to 34, I think, ACC tournaments now. And this would make my top 10 weirdest moments in terms of post-game press conferences. Bayheim is asked if he's going to retire. He repeatedly talks in circles and doesn't ask the, answer the question. And I'm just sitting back. I'm letting the Syracuse people do their jobs. I like to let the lo- whoever the local media covering that coach, I like to let them get all their questions out before I ask my question. So Bayheim's he wasn't antagonistic the way he often is. He wasn't a bully or a jerk the way he sometimes is. He was just kind of having fun with it. He, he just wouldn't give a direct answer to the question. And he kept saying, well, I have the right to retire at any time, but I am choosing not to do that. I am choosing not to exercise my right to retire. And this is a a university decision. So after he dodges the question for 15 minutes, he walks out of the room. And I'm telling you, I checked my phone within 10 minutes of that weird dance. Syracuse announced on its official Twitter handle that Jim Beheim was moving on. 
Didn't even say retirement. Didn't say fired. Just said, thank you, Coach Beheim. This is 10 minutes after we're talking to Jim Beheim. 10 wow. minutes after that, they announced that Adrian Autry, his former player and longtime assistant coach, is the new head coach at Syracuse. So all within 30 minutes, we go from asking Jim Beheim these questions and not getting answers to all of a sudden Syracuse. You know, they had the press conferences days later in Syracuse. My sense was he wanted to stay one more year, and they wouldn't let him. But nobody wants to call it a dismissal. No, the guy literally had coached for 47 years there after playing there. Like, that's a lifetime for most people. So nobody wanted it to be that way, but it got so weird. I'm glad he held his press conference and said nice things about Adrian Autry, and he said nice things about how much he's enjoying the early days of his retirement. Um, but in the original Adrian Autry press release, there was no quote from Jim Beheim. Wow. That's weird. That's other side of the planet weird. You're not going to say, yeah. you're not going to give your university one paragraph about your former player and right-hand man assistant coach who's the first new head coach in a half century at your school. You can't give them a paragraph for that. And I think that was the emotion of the moment. I'm glad he's putting a smiley face on it. I've done a lot of Syracuse media in the last few days. I try to tell them 90% of interactions with Jim Beheim are, in, in my opinion, enjoyable. He's intelligent. He's actually funny. He's snarky. Now, he I've is. seen the other 10%. He came after me a couple times. I've seen him bully student reporters. I've seen him take shots at Greensboro and the lack of cuisine in the South and how going to Greensboro is a waste of time. There's no value to the ACC to have their tournament in Greensboro. You want to talk about the opposite of how to make friends and influence people. I mean, Jim Bayham did a lot of that in his decade as a member of the ACC. But to me, the good far outweighed the bad. And even though there were a lot of awkward, horrible moments where everybody could have been a little bit better, at least it seems to have come out the other side in a nice way. And he's still employed by Syracuse. He's going to be some kind of unusual title the way Coach K is at Duke. And I don't even know if Roy has a title at Carolina. It doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're still associated with their universities. And that at least puts a little smiley face on it, even if nobody wanted to use the phrase firing or, right. or leaving one year before you wanted to leave or whatever other nice little label you want to put on it. Yeah. He, you know, his legacy to me, guys, will always be one that, you know, obviously a tremendous coach, longevity. He did get the national championship with yeah. Carmelo Anthony. But when I look at Bayheim's career, there were also two or three times where he had the best team in college basketball and, and lost. Um, I think back to, I want to say it was 1987, where he had um, Sherman Douglas, yeah, correct no. me if I'm wrong here, Ronnie Sykley, mm. uh, I want maybe even Derek Coleman, guys, and they lost to uh, Indiana, Indiana on a last-second buzzer beater. Yeah. That was a Syracuse team that should have won the national title. So, to me, his legacy is a little mixed. I thought he, he blew some big games, not necessarily blew big games, but maybe should have – let's just – I'll put a nicer spin on it. He probably should have won those games. When you yep. look back at it, but interesting to look he's, at. He's he's um, he's a fascinating guy because he will have national champion next to his name. He will mm -hmm. also have a trip to the Final Four as a double digit seed next to his mm -hmm. name. 
So it's an unusual combination where you could absolutely circle a few where you didn't think he got them as far as they could have been. But I covered that. I think it was a 10 seed Syracuse team. This is when they were in the ACC and they're one of the last four standing. That's a heck of a coaching job. So, yeah. you know, both extremes are real. You know, life is often this weird mix of black and white and gray. And I think it is with Bayheim because you could make the ugly looking resume or you could make the pretty looking resume. And he did change the game with that Bayheim zone too. Wherever sure you got to find room on his resume for, that unorthodox zone that I thought sometimes helped them win in the NCAA tournament when rather than it being a conference opponent who would prepare for that zone, you know, a couple times a year, it was somebody that had either rarely seen it or never seen it or not seen it in a long time. And mm. that zone helped them spring some upsets over the years. Well, uh, Hey, D- uh, DG, you were talking about Greensboro. I'll tell you somebody else who doesn't like Greensboro and he doesn't need to worry about Greensboro is Jim Phillips. Uh, Phillips is like, I don't know what this obsession is with the anti-Greensboro. It's my, it's where I was born, but um, not that that's important. But to me, Jim Phillips needs to worry about the ACC. It doesn't matter where the office is. They can tell me all day long, but Dave, I have to drive to Charlotte and I have to get <laughs> on a plane. The bottom line is you're getting ready to lose. Uh, I really believe they're going to lose Clemson and Florida State. I think it's only a matter of time. And the reason I bring that up is because people that don't know watching and listening, DG is a lawyer. How do you, that's one of my questions tonight. I've been waiting a long time to answer, ask this question. If you're a lawyer for Clemson, Florida state, how do you get around the grant of rights? I'm not sure you do. I think um, I haven't seen anything or heard anything that makes me believe that it's not a very strong legal document. And remember leaving the ACC basically creates a two-pronged penalty. The first prong is written into the bylaws. It's three times your most recent check from the conference office. So if your most recent office, your your most recent annual check from the conference office as a member of the ACC, let's just say it's going to be $40 million. That's ballpark number for this upcoming year. To leave, the first part of your penalty would be $120 million. Now that's a lot of money. But if, if you were leaving for the SEC, they're now making so much more money than the ACC is, you'd make up that $120 million over a few years just because you're making so much more as a member of this new league. What the grant of rights does is it leaves your TV rights behind. It leaves them with the league that you're departing. So Clemson, theoretically, or Florida State, or whoever wants to leave, would be participating in a new league from now all the way through 2036 without being able to benefit financially from their own TV rights. And that means their new league is not getting any benefit financially from their home games in in those sports. So that's leaving behind hundreds of millions more. Now, what happens, Dave, and, and is there a lawyer out there that might tell Clemson or Florida State, ah, Pay your pay the one the one hundred twenty million is so crystal clear that you're not getting out of that. Pay that, and just challenge that grant of rights things and see if it'll hold up in court. There might be an aggressive lawyer who suggests that, but the reason I don't think it's going to happen soon is remember, with each passing year, the penalty to leave that that grant of rights penalty. If, you're, if you leave in the year 2030, 
they're, they're only six years left on the grant of rights. If you leave right now, what would that be? That, that'd be 13 years left of the grant of rights. Hmm. That math is a lot different right now. So if, you're, if your aggressive lawyer is giving you bad advice and you can't wiggle out of that thing, man, you are creating a financial mess for yourself. And that's why you guys may have read, but long story short, in the 70-year history of the ACC, they have never they have never strayed from the concept of equal revenue sharing. In other words, even if Duke and Carolina have the best TV ratings in men's basketball, and even if Clemson and Florida State have the best TV ratings in football, we're not going to start dividing the money based on that. It's This is what came into the shared conference revenue pie, and we're dividing it in 14 ways. And Notre Dame kind of is this weird 15th member, but not in football. They are for the first time in Jim Phillips. I asked the question at Jim Phillips preseason media availability. They are for the first time discussing non-equal revenue sharing, where instead it would be some formula where if you are bringing in more TV eyeballs in football or men's basketball or whatever, you, you might get more than just one 14th slice of the pie. Now, I don't know how far along that is. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. But that's one of the things they're running up the flagpole to try to pacify Clemson and Florida State. Yes. Uh, and, and at least, you know, push, push these decisions a year or three or five years down the road. That's a really bad idea. Yeah. That's, a, that's a way that you can lose other schools. Um, that's well, a terrible the, big, the Big 12 caved in to Oklahoma and Texas and did unequal revenue sharing because they kept saying we deserve more because everybody watches us. And even their greater shares did not pacify them. They still left for the SEC. Um, so, I mean, you know, if you're the little Boston colleges of the world, on the one hand, you don't want to lose your one fourteenth slice of the pie. If, if you do this new revenue sharing, you're, if Clemson's pie is piece is going to grow, yours is going to shrink. Now, but, but the, the scary part, it, nobody likes their pie to shrink, right? But the scary part is if you're Boston College, you might agree to it if you're really f- afraid that Clemson or Florida State would leave, which would decrease the value of the ACC. And if Clemson and Florida State left, and this is not going to happen anytime soon, but if it did, wouldn't UNC have to listen to the Big Ten, which has been trying to get them for 10 years? Carolina has been has received phone calls from the Big Ten since before Maryland left for the Big Ten. Wow. How many years ago is that now? It's like a decade at this point. So Carolina knows that it would have a home in the Big Ten the, the second that it wanted one. Um, and then if you're Boston College, you just saw three of the most influential schools leave. Um, so that's that's why the smaller schools might have to listen to this proposal by the bigger schools to that, that just basically, you know, their, their argument is we bring more attention to the league. We should get more of the payday. That, that's their argument. And um, maybe 70 years of doing it with equal revenue sharing is going to go away at some point. But it also can hurt them in basketball. If they, if, uh, if they're not one of the best teams and Duke and North Carolina are. The money is so much bigger in football. Right. That, you know, you're right. Basketball still matters, but the money is so much bigger in football 
that Clemson or Florida State are, would be just fine, even if their you know their basketball numbers are not nearly as large. And Florida State, are you talking about like eyeballs or because they're not the Florida State that when you were covering them first? You know, no, thirty years. Ago. They, even though they haven't been very good, they still get a lot of TV eyeballs. Um, you know, a lot of people forget the Big Ten and the SEC are wealthier than everybody else for multiple reasons. One reason is they, they created the more successful channels before everybody else did. The Big Ten network was born way before the others. The SEC network was born, I think, maybe four or five years before the ACC network. So they got in, you know, back when cord cutting wasn't as big a deal and cord shaving wasn't as big a deal. And they created these channels and they distributed them and got literally, you know, 100 million TV households or close to it. And just it was just this new revenue stream, this new channel, printing money in the backyard. That's a big part of it. But the, the, the harder part to wrap your brain around is, is, bottom line, 20 years ago, men's basketball made as much money as football for some major conferences. Those days are over. Now, some people estimate that when a conference negotiates its TV rights with Fox or ESPN or whoever their TV partners are, the estimate is that 80% of the value of those TV deals is football. 80%. And that means 19% is men's basketball and 1% is all other sports combined. Wow. 80% is football. Wow. So 20 years ago, it might not, it might, it was just as good for Duke or Carolina to be prominent in basketball as it was for Clemson and Florida State to be prominent in football. Now it's not equal. And being prominent in football, as as so many SEC schools are, or even having a lot of your fans watch football, those Big Ten schools attract a lot of eyeballs. And I don't mean just Ohio State. I mean, all those schools have big alumni bases, and they watch to the tune of millions, even on a normal Saturday. In ACC country, it's got to be a big game for people to watch to, you know, three, five, seven, nine million people. It's got to be a really big game, not just your routine Saturday matchup. In the Big Ten and the SEC, they're getting multi-million dollar TV, multi-million person TV audiences for just a regular weekend matchup between, you know, Mississippi State and whoever. That That's just – the culture here is different. It's not Jim. It's not Jim Phillips' fault. Just like it wasn't John Swafford's fault. This has been a basketball first conference for a long time. That was good enough for the first fifty some years of ACC history. It's financially complicating things over this last decade and a half. DG, I had one more thing for you because uh, I know Matt is a huge 49ers fan for Charlotte. I say that. Oh yes, yeah. yes. Um, what an addition! What an addition to the American. Yeah, yeah we have, sarcasm. Uh, yeah. yeah, to tease everybody, we're getting right back to the tournament. I have one more thing to ask because of Matt. Seriously, he doesn't like Charlotte. Oh, that was a joke. But <laughs> did Mike Oresco pick the the markets? No, because ESPN said if you pick these markets, you'll keep the you know you'll keep your TV deal pretty much close to where it was. Versus picking some of the other schools that the Pirate Nation wanted that made more sense as far as robberies, like a Marshall, different ones that. Maybe you're in the Sunbelt sun belt now. I don't know the answer to that for sure, but my guess is yes. In my 35 years covering college sports, um, 
I came to the conclusion at least two decades ago that not only do fans still do matter, athletic directors matter, university presidents end up mattering more than most people think because they are the ultimate decision makers on these things. But, you know, after the explosion of cable TV in the 1980s and then the growth of cable TV and pay TV in the 1990s, one phone call on the biggest decisions goes to your biggest TV partner. Like that's how important that ESPN executive or that Fox executive or that whatever executive is now. It's, you know, when the ACC expanded and realigned and all that stuff, rivalries in air quotes and what the fans want in air quotes, they're in the conversation, but they're lower in the conversation then what are my TV partners willing to pay for what product? I mean, you know, John Swafford did not get together with his athletic directors and pick Miami, Virginia Tech, Boston College, et cetera, during that round of expansion. Yes, the athletic directors, their voice was in the room, of course. University presidents, their voice was in the room, of course. But one more big voice in the room was – ESPN executive fill in the blank. And we're willing to give you these TV dollars if you pick these schools. And these other choices would be less lucrative in terms of what we'll pay for your product. And you could call the t- that the tail wagging the dog or whatever label you want to put on it. That is the reality we have been in in major college sports for certainly this entire century. It, it really started to snowball in the 1990s, but it's absolutely the case in the 21st century, you don't make big decisions without that TV partner being one of the most important voices in your ear. And I assume that that helps explain, you know, the current makeup of the, or the future makeup of the American athletic conference as well. Interesting. Interesting. Big markets matter more than rivalries. That's just how it goes. Yeah. 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 That's kind of a, you know, it's an unfortunate aspect of, of college sports sometimes, but Hey, it is what it is. I guess there's no there's no changing it at this point, right? Um, yeah. So, David, kind of hopping back to the NCAA tournament here, wanted to get your thoughts. Um, taking a look at the one seeds, Houston is a team. I feel like they're still a little bit off the radar for a number one team in the country. Um, you know, Sasser was injured last week. They struggled against Memphis in the American Conference Tournament. What are your thoughts on this Houston team? Have you heard anything specifically about Sasser and his availability? He's coming back, right? Didn't you say? They feel they sound confident about what his status is going to be, and I think I was told that he could have played in that conference championship game, but they essentially held him out on the theory that this other tournament is a lot more important, and we want you as close to 100 percent as possible. I actually have Houston to win it all, and I talk about history a lot on your show. Uh, and even in other forums, and I'm fighting against history with that pick because there are six leagues that have won every NCAA title since 1990. And I know some people dislike the term Power Five, but it's the Power Five plus the Big East in basketball. Those six leagues have won every NCAA tournament for the last 30-plus years. And I think Houston can break that trend. Um UNLV in 1990 is the most recent example of somebody outside those leagues winning it all. What's, what's unusual is not only is Marcus Sasser a first, maybe 
he's an NBA player, maybe a first round pick. They have a big that big guy, Jarris Walker, who's an absolute lock as a first round pick. They also have a head coach in Kelvin Sampson who's been there, done that, been around the block, and I think is a heck of an X's and O guys guy. Um, you know, this that's a guy that because he was hit with a scandal at some point in his career, he has not had as many offers from the true plum institutions. But I know that he is viewed as somebody good enough to coach at Duke or Carolina. That that's that's yeah. how his coaching prowess is viewed. Now, some people thought he was stained by this or that scandal, and and that's why he didn't get that dream job, quote unquote. But when you have NBA caliber talent, big time head coach, wins wins beyond the American. I mean, they went to Charlottesville, Virginia, and beat the first team place in the ACC, the Cavaliers. It, it was not a, a crushing defeat, but it wasn't a nail biter either. Houston looked like the better team, and and, and UVA is a four seed, so it's not like they're a slouch. Um, you know, you never say never. Alabama is really good. We mentioned UConn earlier. Um, I like Marquette, uh, mm. but I do think I think Houston has as good a chance as anybody to win this event. The Cougars are my pick, um, and I don't I like see any it. reason they can't do it. I just yeah. I just don't. I, they they they're not afraid of lower possession games. You know, sometimes in the NCAA tournament, as as talented as Alabama is, Alabama plays at such a fast tempo that you almost never see that tempo as the, the NCAA tournament advances. You just run into somebody, you know, Vir, not, not Virginia's not the only one, but obviously Virginia's literally at the other end of the spectrum in terms of tempo. I don't know if an Alabama can win either way. I think Houston can win either way. I think Houston can win with its defense or its offense. I think Houston can win a little up-tempo or a little slow-tempo. I, that's you know there's a lot of reasons i mentioned the coaches and obviously the players yeah. um one of my favorite articles i've ever written has to do with the fact that you need what we call in the modern day a first round nba draft pick to win the ncaa title mm. i use the phrase top 30 pick because way way back in the day a top 30 pick you could have been the 30th pick and it was the fourth round of the NBA draft because there weren't as many teams back then. Mm -hmm. But top 30 today means first round top 30 back then just meant top 30. So I went all the way back. I think it was to the 1940s in that 70 year period. How many teams have won it all without a top 30 NBA pick answer? Zero. Wow. Zero. Wow. That's awesome. That's an interesting. I, story. I have like this encyclopedic six part, series at chapelboro.com at about this time last year it's crazy you know I, you could almost say the team and i would tell you maybe not off the top of my head uh which which guys were top 30 picks um but that underlines whoever if you want to win your bracket you have to follow the nba talent coaching hmm. matters depth matters you know being able to hit threes in today's world matters um a little offense defense balance matters but you better have the dudes. And, and crazy, as crazy as it sounds, guys, Purdue, even as a one seed, even with the possible college national player of the year in, in the big fella, I don't think they have a first-round NBA draft pick on their roster. 
Mm. Zach wow. Eady is, of course, a dominant college player. NBA people say probably probably second rounder. Wow. Yeah. Mm. He's just okay. not kind of like Armando Baycott. You know, he's been the runner up or close to it for ACC player of the year two years in a row. Definitely not a first round NBA draft pick. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. They're just not, they're viewed through different prisms. You know, they're not, they're not saying you're not a great college player. They're just saying they don't like how you translate to the NBA. Right. So anyway, I'm not on the Purdue bandwagon because of my NBA theory and seven decades worth of research. On yeah. That topic. We'll see. That's some, that's some tremendous data. I mean, yeah. you, you know, and to your point about having the dude, you know, you're going to come inevitably, if you're going to win a national championship, there's going to be multiple points in the tournament where it comes down to one or two possessions. And you have to have a guy that can take over a game, somebody that can create off the dribble, create their own shot and make big shots. So totally get what you're saying there. And then, you know, kind of going back to Houston, I mean, for me, guys, they can defend one through five. Yeah. And I mean, when they're, when they're on defensively, they can, they can totally lock you down better than anyone in the country. And, you know, they're really interesting the way some of the schemes they use defensively where they trap the corners. You know, if you get the ball to the corner and they bring that trap, good luck. Uh, they're, they're devastating, you know, when, when they do that well. So if, I like it, though. Number So so Houston is your pick, David. Yeah, I like it. we'll see. Right. I mean, that's one of those you're either going to look stupid <laughs> or I guess you can't look too, too smart because they are a number one seed. But, um, yeah, I, I think they can do it. I, I – I, uh, there's, they're just not missing anything that you need. And mm. I agree with your assessment of the defense, Matt. Um, I'm a Ken Palm type guy. I don't know if you guys ever visit that. Uh, it's an efficiency website. Mm. And long story short is a lot of the time, teams that win the NCAA title are top 20 in offensive efficiency and top 20 in defensive efficiency. So, for example, a Gonzaga is a brilliant offensive team, not great in the defensive statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas State, I think, is a really high seed. Brilliant in the defensive statistics, not great in the offensive statistics. So, of course, you know, you start looking for those teams. Well, who's top 20 in offense and top 20 in defense? Houston mm-hmm. is one of the only answers to that question. Um, and, and in most years, there's only – about a half a dozen that even fit that description. So Houston is in that category this year. Alabama is in that category. Connecticut and Texas, I mm. think, are the four examples that I included in, in an article I just wrote. Um, I, I just wrote like a how to win your bracket articles <laughs> at chapelboro.com. So it included I just put that, 500 on Houston while you were talking. Yeah, so. right. It included that NBA tidbit I mentioned. <laughs> Uh, it includes some of this Ken Palm offense, defense, balance stuff. And then it just kind of goofs around from there. It, mentions, it mentions top three seeds winning almost 90% of the NCAA titles. So, so some of the same stuff we've gotten through tonight, uh, I, I kind of incorporated into a, a bracket. And one of the lines in there is if you win, take all the credit yourself. Because if if you don't win, DG doesn't want any hate mail. You know, like, <laughs> that's That's how it goes. Yeah, no doubt. And as far as like when we're going back to Duke, like with uh, the number of freshmen they have their own there that are are how many of those do you think would be a first rounder? Four. There's wow. no team. And actually, the two teams with the most obviously some of this is speculative because it 
it's not crazy hard to project this year's first round, but it, it is harder to project two years from now and three years from now. Um, but for example, Derek Lively, even as a limited offensive player, he's going to be a first round draft pick. Um, I think Kyle Filipowski, the ACC freshman of the year, I, I guess theoretically he could not be, but I, I would guess that he will be. Mark Mitchell, their wing player, also a freshman right now, he's going to be a first rounder. So that's wow. three right there. Wow. Um, and I guess there's a chance that others would be. Dariq Whitehead is a really, he's on the NBA radar. He hasn't been great as a freshman, but he's on their radar. Um, Tyrese Proctor, probably not, but you know, who knows if he, if he stays another year and gets better, uh, it's a possibility. But the two, two teams that I know will have three or more first rounders are Duke and Arkansas. And Arkansas, Arkansas is only what, an eight or a nine seed, I think. Um, their problem is not lack of NBA talent. They've got some other issues, but they're, they're fun to watch and they're dangerous. And you'll be seeing some guys, you know, as they say in the NFL playing on Sundays, you know, in, in the NBA it might be a different label, but Arkansas and Duke are as stacked with future NBA talent as anybody. So if that's your, if that's your mojo, you can, you can pick them to go far in the bracket. Wow. That's, that's crazy stuff. It's a great and, point. And uh, before we let you go, I know it's looking here. I realized I didn't realize you've been here in an hour, but what about the hurricanes? Uh, I know with hockey, um, really proud of them. Obviously, um, no no secret that I'm a big Hurricanes fan. Any hope uh, they can go all the way? There's hope. I was just so sad to hear, as a guy who's been season ticket holder for 20 years, uh, Andrei Svechnikov is out yeah. for the season with that knee injury, and he's one Thank of their you. best scorers. The long story short is, are the Canes still one of the half a dozen best teams in the NHL? I would argue, yes, they are. Now, the Boston Bruins are in the midst of a ridiculous record-setting, like one of the best regular seasons in hockey history. Not an exaggeration. So the Bruins have to be considered the favorite. But the Canes would be another, among the, the next four or five teams. The, the hard part now is other teams in their conference upgraded with pretty big-time players at the trade deadline. I mean, like the New York Rangers went and got Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks. That's not tweaking your roster. That's that's a pretty big addition down the stretch. The Canes made smaller moves, so that was one little alarm bell. And then Svechnikov going down for the season. You know, I, I like the Canes in net. I like the Canes on defense. Uh, I don't know if they have enough offensive firepower with Svechnikov yeah, not a, not available anymore. I hope I'm wrong about that. I'd love to be wrong about that, but you know, man, some of those other teams have a lot of offensive firepower, mm. and the Canes do have Aho. Sebastian Aho is still a heck of a player. Marty Natchez is still a heck of a player. Brent Burns is a high scoring defenseman, for example. But Svech was a pretty important player for them in a lot of ways, and uh, it's just hard to lose that guy in the middle of March. There's roughly one month left in the regular season, and the trade deadline is already gone. So it's not – if he had been injured a month before, I think the Canes might have gone out and gotten another score. But timing means a lot in life, and uh, the timing didn't work in the Canes' favor this time. DG, I got one more quick one for you before we yep. let you before we let you out of here. Best college basketball team you've ever seen? 
Wow. You're putting the guy um, on the spot here. Come and, on. And, and let's here, let's let's kind of narrow it down a little bit. All right. Because there have been some great teams that didn't win a national championship. Let's say out of national championship teams, best team you've seen. Out of only national champions. Um it might have been uh the Duke team that had Carlos Boozer in the post. Jason, he now calls himself Jay Williams at point guard. 2001. Um, Shane Battier, brilliant defender, but also a 20-point scorer. Chris Duhon actually kind of shared point guard duties with Jay Williams. And Mike Dunleavy. So all five, all five of those guys played in the NBA. Wow. Battier was like the defensive player of the year nationally. Um, and I guess it's a great question, Matt, because – I'm speaking just through the prism of how good they were as a college basketball team. Mm-hmm. You could have fun just playing that game in terms of future NBA talent. You know, right. there, there sure. were some Kentucky teams that had like yeah. seven future pros on them yep. when they were winning it all. Um, but the combination of those guys, I mean, there's not a weak link in that chain, man. And mm-hmm. Coach K coaching them, that's 20 plus years ago. They would be on the short list, yeah. And and I would probably, and I'm 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 biased to the teams that I saw the most of, right? So the ACC teams, like Carolina in '09, with Lawson and Hansbro and those guys. I mean, <laughs> that was a heck of a college basketball team as well. Preseason number one all the way through national champion, and 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 in that five months from the preseason polls to cutting down the nets they never dropped out of the top 5 of the polls wow. for 5 months so almost gate to gate uh you know not quite number 1 all the way through but you get the idea um that's a great question and it's, it's a fun one to answer but i'm sure there are others that i just didn't see as well um and if it's you go so far tough. if you it's go so far tough. enough back it is hard yeah, like that UNLV team from 1990 that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, they, they beat Duke good. in the Final Four by 30. In it was crazy. Th- yeah. They looked like an NBA team, and you know, if you saw some of the photos of them hanging out with you know Richard the Fixer so and so in the Las Vegas <laughs> hot tub, you know, you wondered if that was a semi-pro team for Jerry Tarkanian. They certainly played like it. Man, I, I got to tell you. That was my favorite team of all time. That that UNLV team. Oh my god. Love that team with with Larry Johnson, Grandma. Oh. I mean, he was a, such a beast. And then you so you had three. Talk about first rounders. You had Greg Anthony, first rounder for the Knicks. You had the plastic man, Stacey Augman. Right. right? Larry Johnson. And then you had Tark chewing on the towel. I mean, right? what was better? What was better than that team back then? And they had nasty guys. I think Moses Scurry was one of their big guys. Mm. Just, you know, mm. sharp elbows and tough and looked like he yeah. wanted to beat you up in the parking lot. So you got <laughs> you got Grandmama doing his thing. Wasn't Anderson Hunt on that team as yeah, well? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so we just named maybe the starting five. That's a <laughs> – I wouldn't want to play them. Yeah. I wouldn't want to have yeah. to beat them. Man, that, those guys were tough with a capital T. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's another contender for sure. And quickly, the best college game I've ever seen in my life was the 92. Um, speaking of, we're talking about Patino, Shashevsky, 
that Kentucky Duke game is by mm. far to me. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about heavyweights? You want to talk about drama? Two legendary coaches. Yeah. This when you think that Kentucky's going to win it, that pass from Grant Hill to Leitner. I mean, that was in that was almost like a movie. That that game is like a movie script to me. Like two dudes are sitting in a typewriter typing up how you know, like choreographing. Yeah. And if like, we had if we had all night, I mean, we're creative guys. I'm not sure we'd come up with a better script than what unfolded that night. Holy cow! No doubt. And no in doubt. that game, didn't Leitner didn't miss a shot, if I remember correctly. Twelve for twelve, DG. Twelve for right? twelve. Plus the free throw line, he didn't yeah. miss any shot of any kind. Yeah. I mean, you know. Say what you want about the guy in the NBA. What he did in college is one of the greatest careers in the history of the NCAA. Yeah, in fact, uh, Johnny Robertson, let's put that up again, said, most entertaining for me was the 1991 UNLV running Rebels. Um, hey, they, you got to put them up there. I mean, they were they only lost. They were, if my memory serves me right, you're the math guy, DG. I believe, were they not like 30 and 1 the, in 91? They I'm lost trying to two. remember. One game that year, it was to Duke. When Bobby Hurley hits that three, it was a five-point game. So they were undefeated when they lost to Duke, and Duke goes on to win the national title. That's the way I remembered yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, they lost one and that, game. That was crazy. I mean, you are talking about the back and forth to, between Duke and Carolina to start the show. Uh, maybe this brings it full circle because I've been around long enough. You know, at the end of the 80s, the conversation in the Triangle part and around North Carolina was – Hey, UNC has two national titles. Duke still doesn't have any yet. That was the conversation. You know, Mike Krzyzewski's winning all these games, and he got into the national championship game back in 86, but it's still 2-0. So sure enough, the pendulum swings the other way. Duke wins not only in 91, but also 92, the back-to-back. So the pendulum swings the other way. And then the conversation was, hey, Kay has two, and Dean only has one. Sure enough, the very next year, Carolina wins it all, and the pendulum swings back again. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It, it, it has, you know, it happened later when Carolina won in 09, and then Duke wins in, in 10, right. and Duke wins in 2015, and then Carolina wins in 2017. I mean, it's like, are you kidding? This is another script we'd have a hard time writing. But, you know, one year ago, it was Carolina sent K into retirement. And they beat him in his last game in Cameron. And then they beat him again in the Final Four. One year later, Tar Heels are home. And Duke is a popular pick to make the Final Four and maybe even make a run at a national title. We'll see how that ends. But any Duke fans who, fan who thinks, you know, the pendulum might not swing again, you're about as smart as the Carolina fan one year ago who thought the pendulum wouldn't swing again. Exactly. Look how that turned out for them. Exactly. Well, DG, it's always fun to have you on. I know that we went way long. Thank you for your your time and your patience as always with us. And I know people can pick up great stuff from chapelboro.com. And one more thing. I know I've said one more thing. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to ask you about your career. Any hope that I can ever get you back on radio, please? Uh, the option I'm considering right now would have some video elements, some radio elements, some writing elements. Uh, some travel the state of North Carolina elements, kind of as I did with the big tailgate tour with the David Glenn show. So it would not be sort of the traditional everyday terrestrial or satellite radio show. Um, I'm not really, I don't want an everyday show anymore. I love doing things like this. 
but it, it, I'm just at a different chapter of life. So again, I'm, I'm not going to know for a couple months whether we're going to do this project, okay. but if we do it, it would start this July and there would be opportunities for me to partner with a lot of different people in the media, um, a lot of different schools. And, you know, given my relationship with y'all, we would figure out a way to partner. This is, this is going to be a, an octopus like thing if I pull it off and it would allow me to travel the state, see people in person, um, do a lot of long form interviews, um, showcase not just the sports of North Carolina, but some of the places and the people, um, that are a part of our sports culture. So, um, I like that person. I mean, I love games the way we all do and winning and losing and dissecting all the, the X's and O's, but it, I've always been most fascinated by the people and places part of sports. Um, and I love this state so much having lived here for 35 years, I'm trying to find a way to, to merge all these things that I like, and maybe it's going to end up being a pipe dream and it doesn't happen, but you know me well enough that I'm going to take a big damn swing at the pinata and, and see if I hit the damn thing. And we'll see what falls out if I do. Well, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. I know Matt, Bubba, Kyle, all of us are big fans. And there's a lot of people. It's funny because I guess people see me on. They ask me that. Um, have you heard from DG? Is he ever going to do a show again? <laughs> people in Greenville absolutely love you. You could probably – we love PJ Conley a lot. But uh, you could probably run for mayor and have a better shot than some. <laughs> that have, that well, the run. feeling is mutual, man. I, I, as the, isn't it a biblical saying? I sent my only son there. I sent my only son to ECU. You know, that's that's my son's alma mater. So, uh, and he's actually moving back to Raleigh now from Richmond, Virginia. So, um, get a little closer to his alma mater. And and uh, part of his part of his time in Greenville was really the intense part of COVID. So, I think one of the reasons he wants to be back here in Raleigh is that that he can. It's like an hour away from Greenville, where he can enjoy his own college town in some ways. You know, post twenty one that he really couldn't do it because the town was shut down for right. uh, pretty much his senior year and even part of his junior year. So that was a bummer. But, yeah, we all as a family have really fond memories of Greenville. I still have a lot of close friends who live in that area. And if I, if I pull off this weird traveling circus idea that I have, um, Greenville is absolutely going to be a central part of it. That's awesome. We look forward to awesome. it. and. Hopefully that comes true this summer in July. DG, thank you so much for the visit. And I look forward to having you back on again soon, my friend. Thank you, Dave. Matt, good to see you. Bubba, thanks for pushing all the right buttons. You guys call me anytime. Enjoy March Madness. All right. Have a good Thanks one. very much, David. Always Later. appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. What, right, a, what a guest, man. I love having David Glenn on. Just, you, know. Like, you know, like, you know, the one thing is when you think, Matt, that you're you know, you go, yeah, I'm a pretty smart guy. Yeah, people think I'm smart. And then there's Matt Semenza that comes on the show. Then there's Bubba Rosenbaum. And there's DG. And I'm going, I'm just lucky. I'm a lucky dude to be in the same room with you guys. That's the way I feel. I'm like, I'm I'm in the locker room with these guys. I'm the luckiest <laughs> guy on the planet, man. Well, I mean, I appreciate that, certainly. But, you know, I'll tell you, like some of the, some of the, the research he's done and the data oh. is really interesting to me about number one draft picks and, and that type of thing. So uh, awesome guest, really enjoy having him on and uh, 
now that he picked Houston, I might have to uh, rearrange my bracket a little bit. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I, I do think that he's uh, he's on to something because this is the 40th anniversary. I didn't want to keep him on, but this is the 40th anniversary of five slam a gem. I mean, that Houston team that lost to NC State. Are you kidding me? Mm, terrible. You want to talk about? You want to talk about what five slam a gem or Kim Elijah one? Clyde Drexler. I mean, we could go on and on. We could do a, a whole podcast, a whole show on on just that team, how great they are and were. But um, hey, NC State, the cardiac pack, and forty years. You gotta love. I'll never forget as a kid. I went to uh, there was a place in Durham where I grew up, and it was a local chain called Durham Sporting Goods, and I was mesmerized. I loved. I love Jimmy V. I'm not an NC State guy. But Jimmy Valvano could light up the room, mm. and even way back then, and he was as a ten-year-old kid or almost ten-year-old kid at that time. He was so good to me and my grandfather, who took me to. They had like a signing there where you could meet him, and and I just thought it was cool, you know. Um, but Absolutely. anyway, uh, I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, for me, um, it's been a tough day to be a pirate. We did win on the mm. baseball field. That was. Who knows uh, how that was going to go? It, it turned out the right way for us. Um, but as far as losing two good coaches for us, I just wanted to—I I wanted to have you on, obviously, because you're a part of the show. But also, being a former player, this is important for me to ask you: What is it like? You know, here you are—you're working your tail off. We know how you and Jeff Carr and all those guys. On the defense side of the ball, the offensive side of the ball, with Logan in the 90s, you're not going to be lazy during that period. Not that they are now. But what is it like losing, you know, you're working your tail off, and then a coach just says, oh, I'm going to North Carolina. I'm going to this school. And you're like, wait a minute. I, You recruited me, and here I am. I've worked for you A, B, C, D. I've done all the right things. I'm going to class. I'm getting good grades. I'm having to do all this travel. I'm away. You're from New Jersey, so you're not anywhere, for, you know, not an hour away from mm-hmm. home. Talk about that experience because I thought about you when I was reading these coaches are leaving. You being a former player, just want to get your perspective on it. Well, you know, the truth is for me, Dave, it can be good or bad, honestly. It, it really can. And, you know, as a player, you know, you really have to gel with with your coach, with your position coach. You want to be on the same page and you know, when you are on the same page, that's going to lead to success. And, and, you know, if a coach leaves in that situation, that can be pretty devastating because, you know, you're, when you play college football, you're around these coaches more than your own family. I mean, I mean, you're, you're with them every day of the week for hours and hours. And, you know, you could develop a tight bond and, um, you you know, you, you get so used to the routine you know, the, the way they coach, the style they coach, what to expect in practice, what to expect in games, uh, schematically different things. So when a coach leaves, it, it's disruptive. It's very disruptive because now all of a sudden you have to bring in a new a new voice, a new personality who's most likely going to do things their own way. Your practice habits are probably going to have to change. Maybe rotations in the game are going to change. So it's, it's disruptive. Now, on the flip side, if you don't gel with a coach, it, it's, it can be a great thing. It can be a great thing, which, which does happen as well. Um, but kind of leads me to, you know, a, a little bigger point. I mean, there's so many crazy things going on in college football, Dave, 
you know, we all know about, you know, the crazy things with NIL and the portal. But I think another big problem right now we're having, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but another big problem we're having right now is the fact that coaches are just, they're, they're just leaving way too often. You know, um, that, you know, coaches will come in and talk about team, you know, they'll talk about team first mentality and loyalty. And as soon as a bigger paycheck comes along, guess what? They're gone. They're absolutely gone. And, you know, I think where that really bothers me is when the same coaches will turn around and bash the, the portal. They'll bash the players right. for wanting a new home and, and to transfer. And it's like, you know, for me, you can't have it both ways. And I think the college coaches have set a really bad precedent for these young people in college athletics because they're constantly moving around. They're always looking for the next best job. They're always looking for the best paycheck. And, you know, a lot of people will say to me, like, when I make this point, they'll say, well, you know, hey, he's just trying to do the best he can for his family. And, well, there is such a thing as loyalty, right? And I just think we're losing a lot of that. And, you know, we have two more coaches leave today. You know, um, again, you know, these guys just jump ship for the, for the next biggest check. And, you know, hopefully they have a, you know, a, a great career wherever they go. But I'm an East Carolina first guy. So I, I, I hate when these coaches, they come and go, they jump ship, they look for the next biggest check. I'm always going to be loyal to East Carolina first. Um, so I do have I do have a problem with it. And, I, and like I said, I think it sets a very poor example for, you know, 18 and 19 year olds. Uh, by the way, I, I got to give you the the guy to me. This is sleaziest of them all. It's not any, anybody. Don't worry. It's not anybody for East Carolina related. So I don't want to get in trouble. It's not anywhere, anywhere close to us. I got two words for you. Ready for the sleaziest coach. Exactly what you're talking about. That's horrible. Bobby Petrino. Okay, oh, here's yeah. guy. I can give you so many examples with this dude. Here's the latest. So I'm driving to work one day, right? And I hear that Bobby Petrino is going to be the offensive coordinator for, I think it was UNLV, right? Hmm. And they, I thought he was going to go to Texas A&M. Shortly thereafter, he is now the offensive coordinator for Texas A&M. He didn't even, he didn't even get a chance. Well, not get a chance, but he didn't give them a chance to take his expertise to UNLV, the running rep, you know, like the Rebels, and he's already w- with Jimbo down the most overrated coach in college football. I've said it for years, and I will stick by it. He's the most overrated coach in college football, Jimbo Fisher. I think they're going to have a – I don't know if it's going to be a wonderful marriage, if you will, but they deserve each other. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> and I'm not – That is interesting. I'm not anti-Texas A&M, so it's not like I have heat on Texas A&M. I just think it's hilarious. You've got Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino. Maybe they can pull it off this year, but how many years does, and we'll move on, but one question I have about Jimbo Fisher, how many years does this dude get? Because he signs a deal for 10 years, 75 million, okay, 7.5 million a year. Hey, I think that's fantastic. If you can get the money and they're willing to pay you and they're dumb enough to pay you, then go for it, right? And Texas A&M is not poor by any stretch. They have a lot of money. But I just find it really funny. I don't know about you, but he has gotten – he's had the biggest leash of any coach, maybe because of the buyout. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the buyout is, Matt, but 
Um, what are your thoughts on Jimbo? Am I way off on that? I thought, well, he, he, I mean, huge underachievement this year for yeah. Texas A&M and football. That team was stacked. Um, tremendous job in recruiting. But the on-field results just weren't there. And I remember we had the the voice or one of the, you know, the voice of the, the Aggies on in the preseason. And he just went on and on about, Oh yeah, you know, how deep they were on defense yeah. and on the D line, and you know, good luck blocking them. And then you know, you see teams like App State go in there and 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 hand it to them, right? And so a huge underachievement. And I got to just take a step back and agree with you about Petrino. You know, guys like him are just bad for the game. Absolutely. You know, they're just he's just he's scum. He really is <laughs> uh, bad for the game. And. Final thing I'll say about this, Dave, and I, and then I'll get off my high horse here, but this this topic really does kind of bother me, and I think too often we let coaches off the hook. If I was the parent of a of a, you know, if my son was getting recruited for football, um, or any of the if there's parents listening to this show that have kids getting recruited for football, always commit to the school, never right. commit to a coach, right? Because these coaches will come and go, um, and they might get fired, right? They might get fired. As soon as they win, they're going to, you know, they're going to take a bigger check. So always commit to the school, um, you know, and not to the coach. And then you'll be you'll be a little safer than the other way around. I'm just hoping that we you and I have both have a boy and a girl. And so does Bubba. He has a boy and a girl. How cool would it be to have? Uh, and I told that to my daughter. I had to explain to my daughter and son what a legacy recruit is. But she both of them want to go to East Carolina. So. Uh, how cool would it be to have Avery and Chase and then have Alexander McKenzie and Riley and Reese all go to uh, East Carolina? That's six. Hey, East Carolina, we can get you six more kids to go. To, our children <laughs> to go. Our kids to go to East Carolina will be uh, unbelievable. That would be fantastic. And, uh, my, you know, my dream would be for my son to play baseball at ECU for, for, oh, for Cliff Godwin. I mean, that would be tremendous. And, that would be awesome. And right on cue, here, here's here's Bubba. Yeah, I had, yeah, and um, I have a controversial topic to talk about if you guys want to talk about it. <laughs> um, I just have a problem, and let me just say, last night, East Carolina, as far as I hate that your dad was there and had to uh, be at that game, but I was just very frustrated with the whole Cliff Godwin getting tossed again by Wilson Rayner. And I, I, Bubba's going to kill me for bringing it up, but I'm sure he's a nice guy and maybe I have to be delicate on that. But if you're going to call an East Carolina game, just be fair to East Carolina. Don't go all the way over to one extreme. That's why Cliff Godwin is getting mad at you. And I know that Bubba doesn't like that take that I have on that, well, but recuse yourself and don't well, do the well, game. Well, nece- not necessarily. I'm- I mean, I, I was unable to watch last night. I was listening to Scott Rogers' call, and no, but did. a lot of folks who were watching or, or were there at the game, uh, I don't know this for certain, but uh, you know, sometimes coaches uh, will do something like that to, to fire up their team, and that may have very well, it may not have been anything about uh, you know, trying to, to be impartial. It may have been <laughs> – Obviously, this is a little bit extreme, but uh, you know, like the scene from Hoosiers where, where Norman Dale said, "Hey, throw me out of the game if you, if you don't, I'm going to start jumping up and down and screaming like an absolute lunatic." <laughs> you know, 
So, I wonder about that because, but it just seems like every time that I've been to a game, well, uh, at home when Wilson Rayner calls and he, um, Bubba says he's a nice guy. I take that he's a nice guy. My thing is that he was a long snapper for uh, East Carolina for the football team. I'm not saying that you have to throw the game. I'm not saying you have to throw the game and, you know, like for East Carolina, that would be as bad as like the other way where you're, you're, you're trying to be so impartial that like with balls and strikes that you go the other way, there's two extremes either way. I would not be happy. I would feel really slimy and like, I would have to take several showers to get the slime off. If he was like a Homer and threw the game for us, meaning like, you know, calling balls and strikes that were, were not correct. But I just that's something that bothers me is it just seems I don't know. I would love to get David Glenn because he's the researcher, not me. And maybe Bubba can. How many times has Cliff Godwin been tossed out of a game? And who who are the umpires that tossed him out? So I was just wondering about that. Um, I know y'all are being more delicate than I am with it. It just it's frustrating to me. I don't like to see my coach being thrown out. And maybe Bubba's right. Maybe I it crossed my mind when that happened, that maybe he was doing it to fire up the team. What do you think, Matt? Well, we have some comments here from, from Justin yeah. Butts. We, we can, uh, we can turn to here. Always like to hear Justin's uh, thoughts here. Let me object. Wilson Rayner is a darn good umpire as umpires. We have off nights and I will tell you cliff wanted to be objected, ejected, excuse me. Okay. So uh, interesting point there from, from Justin. Maybe maybe it was the Norman Dale effect, you know, to Bubba's point okay. where he uh, he had had enough and, and wanted to get tossed. Who knows? All right. So I appreciate that, Justin. Maybe I'm wrong on that. It just uh, I like Cliff Godwin a lot. Maybe I'm too maybe I'm too biased, but it's just uh, for me, um, it's one of those things. He he, I I didn't say he was a bad. What I'm saying, I'm not saying. Let me be clear on that. I'm not saying he's a bad umpire. I'm just saying when he's with East Carolina. You don't have to go to one extreme to to prove that you're impartial. I remember Billy Packer years ago, God rest his soul, speaking of the NCAA tournament. Matt, 1992, this guy picked literally f- four big eight schools to make the Final Four. He did everything he could on paper and announced it to try to be impartial because he was a Wake Forest guy, ACC guy, and he didn't want to be um, an ACC homer. Um, so, and I understand that. I understand that, um, I'm not saying he's a bad umpire. Like this guy can't umpire. I just feel like, you know, just don't call the East Carolina games. And, uh, Justin can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but, uh, I believe Steve Sanders, who we had behind the plate tonight against William and Mary, I believe he's a NC state alum. And he, uh, I remember back 2004, East Carolina, NC State at uh, Granger Stadium, him throwing Ellie Davin out of the game. <laughs> oh, man. I love to see that. Well, that those, uh, <clears throat> those YouTube videos, there was one that you, oh, uh, somebody sent me, I think you guys did, that showing Avent getting tossed. Um, and, uh, and Matt, growing up, uh, loving this, uh, oh, my gosh, Billy Martin. Um, you know, oh, yeah. just for back in the day in the MLB to see them getting kicked out of a game was kind of fun. Um, but I don't know, maybe, uh, because it's my alma mater, I'm too close to it, but anyway, I don't want to, 
I don't. I just prefer when they're going to get kicked out when they start kicking dirt. You know that that's yeah. that was that was more fun to watch back in the day with the old time like Billy Martin would be throwing things, kicking dirt. Earl Weaver, yeah, the, Earl. taking a like a base and like a. Sorry, Dave. Uh, obviously, I have some lag, but uh, since we've gone down this rabbit hole of baseball managers and their their antics and getting tossed and so forth, uh, you mentioned Billy Martin, you know Earl Weaver, Lou Pinella. Um, Bobby Cox, who was a, oh, the goat yeah. when it came to getting getting tossed. Um, yeah, it, it's so so, so many. Uh, Jim Leland's another good one. Oh man, yeah. You remember Jim Leland used to smoke in the dugout, and they banned smoking from the dugout. <laughs> yeah, and he would try to hide it, and the, the TV yeah, cameras like, would yeah, would always like, find him. Yeah, and you see like the smoke coming out of his hand. He tried to put his hand over the cigarette. Um, to hide it, but anyway, I just thought that was Leland was a really good manager. I liked him. In fact, uh, that was when Pittsburgh was really good. I miss those days. Pirates need to be. I'm talking about Pittsburgh Pirates need to be good at baseball. I missed seeing them uh, good. Being a small market team, they were. It was great to see them and all that. But uh, I want to get your th- you guys thoughts on. I uh, we talked about football losing two coaches. We also lost. Um, Javon Small, and who else from the basketball team? Um, he also had, in addition to Javon Small, the first that was announced to enter the portal was Saxby Sunderland. Okay. Mm. So, <clears throat> so two two there. and um, Disappointing, folks. How many, how many guys, and this is a question I want to ask you guys, do you guys see more guys leaving for the portal for the basketball? Because we t- we've talked about how much we love Schwartz and – if he could just keep the nucleus of guys, I think we have a shot at the NIT. I really like uh, Schwartz. I think um, with his recruiting, has been really good. The way he treats the media is good. The way he treats the fans, he's really engaging, a really smart guy, very good on defense. He, I love the way he teaches the game. I've watched practice. He's a real passionate guy, and he loves basketball, rightfully so, yeah. right, because he's a basketball coach, but – I love everything about it, man. I just want support for the program and support for when it comes to – I'm hoping that – in other words, we don't have a mass exodus of like six players or more. I'm not saying that's yeah. going to happen. I just who, don't want it to happen. Who the heck knows? I mean, uh, and that's that's just the reality. That's not being negative. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. Um, you know, a couple years ago, you know, we thought Jaden Gardner was coming back while he was going home for a break. And – uh you know, the word was that he was going to be a pirate the following season. And then you hear, um, you know, maybe his father and some people close to him, uh, you know, told him, hey, um, why don't you look at going to, you know, UVA or wherever. And uh, and that was that. And then, uh, obviously, he had the coaching change situation. So then Brandon Suggs and Tristan Newton. And, and now this year, you know, with uh, when you have nearly a, and I'm certainly not putting this out there, we have not heard anything like this. But just as an example, um, you know, when you do something like Javon did this year, although uh, he got hurt early on in conference play, he had had a heck of a year, and then you had Ezra, uh, you know, nearly have a twenty and twenty against the number one team in the country. Uh, you know, people in this day and age where you can see everything, everything's on video, whether it's ESPN Plus or or some outlet. Um, 
you can get your hands on the video, and it's no secret what anybody does, uh, especially when it's against the number one team in the country. You know, people are going to uh, throw some money around and uh, you know, come after your players when you have guys. But different things make different uh, guys tick, and uh, ho hopefully Ezra is, you know, hopefully he'll be able to say no to, to some of the people that would likely be coming after him and uh, remain a pirate and uh, you know, stay committed to East Carolina and coach Mike Schwartz and staff. Yeah, guys. And, you know, Javon Small, I mean, I'm sorry. It's just not in my nature to be somebody that, you know, talks about this and, and says, you know, hey, Javon, thank you for your service to East Carolina. You know, you did such a great job. We wish you well in the future. That's just not – my loyalty is to East Carolina, and you know what, Javon? You should say thank you to East Carolina. All right, they gave you a scholarship out of high school. They gave you time to develop. You had a pretty good year before you got hurt. And then a lack of loyalty creeps in again, in my opinion. Um, yeah, because so, last year he didn't have – last year he, he didn't have the year that you would – knowing how he is now, he didn't have the year you would think that – you would have thought he would have had – and it was a huge surprise for us for Javon Small. So, exactly. Um, how quickly exactly. exactly. So, my opinion, you know, uh, you're welcome, Javon. You're welcome for two years of a free education. You're welcome for being developed. Uh, I think you're walking away from a really good coach. I think Mike Schwartz is a very yeah. good coach. Really impressed with the job he did this year. Um, but you're not going to get any thank yous from me. Um, you know, I just say, hey, if you want to move on, just make it happen as soon as possible, and and then we can move on too. And you know, also, guys, wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, you look at and thank you, Johnny, for the support on that because that's not always a popular opinion. Johnny Robinson said, "Amen." Jr. Uh, thank you, Johnny. Um, but what are your thoughts? You know, moving forward with recruiting, you really, if you're East Carolina, you're in, you're in a tough spot here. How much do you recruit from the high school ranks versus hitting the portal? Right. I mean, this is a perfect example. You just invested two years in a kid. You developed him. OK, you recruited him hard out of high school. Now he turns his back on the program. Moving forward, in my opinion. All right. I'm hitting the portal for about 90 percent of my recruits moving forward, unless oh. I can get a really strong kid from the high school ranks. I think I'm hitting the portal hard. See, I, I, I think I, what I would argue is I agree with you in concept. I think the only thing I would say is we've tried that. Even Dooley's tried it, and you see this year with uh, coaches tried it, although I think that Coach has done a nice job of being Coach Schwartz. But I, I, one of the things that drives me crazy is that Coach is doing a good job of is recruiting the local kids, okay? And here's the thing. You look at Amaya Joyner for the female for uh, the, with the ladies team, women's basketball. She's bringing a lot of people to the game, not only from Farmville, but my hometown of Williamston. The fact that she is a local kid, my kids love her. They know her by first name. They know her number. They know everything about her. You know, some people are speculating, will she stay? I don't know. I want to get in that, but like, what I'm saying is if you can find some way, I think there's a, the, you're, you're a fool if you don't look at the transfer portal. Right. But I think you have to be careful of, there's a lot of players out there that are good that will stay. Um, there's some that won't. I think what it comes down to me, Matt, is the, the fact that 
it's until we are a winning program, which I think Coach Schwartz can do, I think he can be successful, then it's always, well, look, you're scoring 20 points and you're losing the game. Why not come to a Connecticut? Why not come to a UCF? We're going to a bigger conference. Why not go to an ACC school like Jaden Gardner? That's always going to be your family. Your friends are back home. Your fellas, they're going to be chirping in here. They're going to be texting you, FaceTiming you, calling you, emailing you, whatever, to tell you that you know you should be going to a quote-unquote, it's not David saying this from the other people, a bigger school. What we have to do is we have to change the narrative. We have to change the culture to have these local kids. You look at Kinston. Heck, hey, Matt, Farmville Central just won another state title Saturday. Hmm. Wow. So we need to have, even if you have a Kinston and um, and Farmville Central and South Central, even if you have the third best guy on the team, um, and I'm not saying to make a, I'm not saying it has to be all Eastern North Carolina kids. You know what I'm saying? But like, I do think the portal is is very important. I think with um, some people are using it on, some people are using it for, you know, key pieces of like, hey, we don't have a point guard or, hey, we don't have a center. Um, but I think you're right. I think you have to look at the portal. If you don't look at the portal, um, then your your days of coaching, you're like an old timer and you need to retire. I mean, <laughs> Another positive to re- recruiting the portal more is if you get a two or three year portal guy, um, you know, or you know, in Quentin DeBouge's case. Now, somebody like that, or you know, Jaden Walker, where you, where you know you're they're not just uh, one and done like a Vance Jackson. Uh, obviously, that's something that's uh, easier to to build upon and and, um, and develop some continuity within your program. Um, so that is another plus because once they transfer to you, um, they they cannot transfer again uh, without having to sit unless it's a grad transfer situation. And uh, na- 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 now the NCAA, you know, at least they made that adjustment where if you transfer that second time, you have to sit a year. Very true. I just, man, I, I tell you, I, I, I hate it for Mike Schwartz because, yeah, uh, honestly, I, I think he, I think he maximized the talent within that team this year. I mean, he came into a really tough situation, a really tough situation. Yep. Um, yeah i mean we had so many scoring gone yeah i mean for for him to do what he did this year is is from the outside looking in people see oh a team that's 500 you know that's the easy that's kind of the lazy way to look at it right if you see the hand he was dealt with you know you you appreciate the job he did and you know hated for him hated for this program to see one of your kind of your homegrown guys that you developed um you know, just kind of turn like that. So unfortunate. Um, but, uh, you know, the portal will provide opportunities, guys. And, you know, to Bubba's point, you are now getting if, – if, you, if you're able to bring in solid players from the portal, this will be their second university. So you, so you hope that you're getting somebody that's, you know, a little more stable, um, has a better idea of what they're looking for, you know, and they want to be there question and by the way i was trying to uh <clears throat> justin wright i think he's from farmville central he entered the transfer portal um, north carolina central's leading scorer and he entered the transfer portal it'd be great to have him come back home 
Um, you know, and I'm not the I'm not a D1 coach. Obviously, I love uh, East Carolina and this particular case basketball. But there's guys out there. I think with Schwartz, I think that there's guys out there that they that these players are not dumb and they know that they can come back home. And there's guys at Carolina and different places are not getting playing time, Matt, that they can come home and they could be like a hero, Matt. They can get a great education. They can get a great experience of college life. You have a tremendous – that coaching staff that Semenza, uh, Semenza, that Schwartz has, you're a great – Matt's a great AAU uh, coach. I wish that Alexander was closer uh, to you. but love to have him. But we have – hey, we have a great coach uh, here locally, but – for me, there's there's guys not getting the playing time. Um, there, uh, I I really think. Um, in fact, uh, let me put this up here. Our good friend Alan Vick, AV, he says EC needs to look closely at Justin Wright. He would work very well in Schwartz's system. In fact, Alan is a Farmville Central grad, so um, he knows that program very well. And it's just uh, Larry Williford, man. You want to talk about a high school? If you want to, and I'm not a Farmville Central guy, but let me just say this: you got to tip your hat to that guy. They've won so many state titles. If you want to build your state uh, high school program, you need to go look at Larry Williford, what he's done at Farmville Central. It's been great, and that's what I'm talking about, Matt. There's, uh, my understanding, and I'll give uh, Schwartz a lot of credit. My understanding is he's working really hard to build relationships with these local coaches that are not even a gas tank away. They're right across town from Greenville. Um, 20, 25 minutes away, 30 minutes, like maybe, you know, 20, 30 minutes to go to Kinston that produces NBA players. It's really cool. Um, but there's a lot of, we could talk for hours about that, but I really feel like there's a lot of players that we could be getting or have the chance to get if we were early on to the, you know, to those guys. And there are guys that we didn't even allow to, to come here, you know, that we said, you got to answer now when, if it's a really big recruit and they go to the ACC, well, why don't you just recruit him the whole entire time? Don't make him commit early when, again, we were talking about earlier about the coaches leave all the time and they're not loyal. So why does a player have to be loyal? They should be able to shop around and see if, and it may be that Greenville and EC are not the right fit and they would be happier somewhere else. Um, so let them have the recruiting process, let it play out, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Bubba, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I'm sorry, I lost y'all for a minute. So my thoughts. What's the topic again? We're talking about the uh, a guy like Justin Wright, and the number one scorer for uh, North Carolina Central, who play, of course played a legendary uh, coach Wolford. It's just one of those things where, um, yeah, they, you know, having him come back. Uh, there are a lot of players out there that you you're wondering. He was the leading scorer for his league. You know, for North Carolina Central, but I believe for the whole league, right? Is that the MEAC? Off the top of my head, I can't. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with the name. I'm not familiar with his accolades and, uh, you know, statistics and so forth. But I know uh, Johnny Gardner, I, I think Johnny's still tuned in. Uh, you know, and he, I believe that's a name that he had mentioned to me in the last few days. And uh, Johnny, um, if you would, if you're still watching, throw some of those other names in the chat or uh, just text me. Uh, I know there were, there were a few that uh, were possibilities uh, from the portal. Yeah. He's a junior. 
Um, he's a junior from Greenville. Uh, well, actually, Farmville. But and uh, something else to keep an eye on. You guys may have already mentioned this, but uh, uh, McKee, uh, Aaron McKee, got fired up at Temple, and um, there was at least a couple guys on that team that um, we had gone after under Joe Dooley to some degree, if not uh, very, very hard. Uh, so uh, hopefully we will. If we want uh, any of them, uh, maybe we'll be in the running. That would be great. Uh, guys, I know we got a few minutes left uh, before we get out of here. What are, you, what are your thoughts about the women's team? A uh, really cool moment, and I know they're playing Saturday night at 10. We wish the best to Kim McNeil, Corey McNeil, everybody that's uh, part of the program. They've been so good to us for the last four seasons and just really happy for them. And uh, Have you filled out a women's bracket there, Matt? I, I did, but you know what? I need to do that tomorrow. I'm a little I'm a little behind on my bracket, but really excited for 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 the ladies. Uh, tremendous season, and uh, you know, really hope they can they can find a way to to pull off this upset against Texas. Hey, by the way, Matt, one of your favorite schools is coming to Greenville tomorrow, and I'm going to be there. You know who they are? It's not Charlotte. I, I don't want to say Charlotte. Charlotte. They're playing uh, softball tomorrow. You know, you're one of your favorite teams, one of the most overrated programs, even though I love the movie Rudy. I'm talking about Notre Dame's coming oh in. Oh, boy. <laughs> Notre Dame, one of your favorite teams, Matt's coming in. I thought for sure you'd be taking the charter, the the jet coming down, the Semenza jet coming down. I'll pick you up from the airport. I'm really close to the airport where I work, and we'll go to the watch softball. And then after the game, hang out a little bit, and you get back on the jet. I need to get some barbecue first. That's – uh. Before I get on the jet, I'm craving some Southern barbecue. Well, you're actually going to come to, uh, with us uh, to a game in April, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Looking forward to that. Yeah. That's what I do. That's why I threw that in the chat earlier about Parker's barbecue when, when DG was talking about Jim Beheim and some comments he had made when at the ACC tournament about the cuisine or something. I was like, well, we need to take, uh, Take Jim Beheim to Parker's Barbecue. Jim Beheim, though, you know the funny thing about that guy? he had He's a guy that says stuff just to, to fire people up. I don't believe he believes half the stuff he says. I think he just likes to say it to, like, one of those people that like to annoy people. I just think he's one of those guys. By the way, um, Bubba, um, Johnny Robertson said McKee getting fired is ridiculous. And how about this? Justin Wright is 43% from three-point range. Oh, my goodness, Johnny. Wow, they are. How about that? Yeah, that's an, that's an impressive number. And, uh, JR, exactly uh, how tall is Justin Wright? I was just curious if he's a wing or if he's, uh, or if he's you know, more of a uh, – you know, six eight, six nine, uh, guy who can step out and knock down those types of shots, like like uh, Drew Pember for, for uh, UNC Asheville. Definitely, if you've not seen Drew Pember play, um, you know, look look him up on uh, on YouTube and check him out in the tournament against UCLA. Hopefully, he'll play well, and the Bulldogs will give the Bruins all they want. But um, six, I'm showing uh, my is six one. But Drew Pember, okay, thank you. And Drew Drew Pember, six ten, and he shoots, you know, upper thirties from three point range. 
and uh, had scored 40 at least twice, if not three times this year. Yeah, that, that guy is – in fact, you had me um, – you were watching that game with uh, – was it Central Florida early in the season, Bubba? The preseason yeah, was, I think it was the season opener. That's the, one I was, that's the one I found out about him is because of you. Johnny Robertson saying that he's 6'2". Okay, I look – what I saw was 6'1". 6'1", 6'2". So he's more like that, a shooting guard? Yeah. I would imagine point guard, shooting guard, something like that. I don't know, um, but that would be my um, – <clears throat> but anyway, the uh, – I'll tell you another one, um, Carolina, the um, one uh, player, by the way, guys, and I think he's South Central, help me out, Bubba, but um, Dontres Styles, uh, he actually is one that I heard rumored to be in the transfer portal. It has not happened yet, um, but well, that would be great to have him come home too. It would be kind of cool talking to Matt, talking about local guys that get a chance to have a homecoming and you build a team and have all these local people that – watch those guys play high school ball and family and friends and you come out and uh, that would be cool. But uh, we'll have to wait and see how that happens. Uh, Bubba, the first hundred people tomorrow night of the game get a, a, a T-shirt. I believe that's right for the Notre Dame, South Carolina. Yeah, game. I believe it's the vintage uh, interlock and EC mark. Okay. Um, I think like the pet band had on against uh, Houston. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same exact same design, but that that interlocking EC logo. But um, I know you said you guys talked about the coaching changes on on the football side with a little bit Chris, Chris, with Chris Foster and Latrell Scott. Um, did y'all talk about Boyette shifting from uh, wide receivers to to running backs, and then we're, then we'll be making a, a t- two hires there um, for a receivers coach slash uh, inside receivers coach and tight ends and passing game coordinator, uh, which, which was Latrell Scott role. Yeah, that I didn't know that. So I did, that's why I, I didn't know that to mention that, but that makes uh Boyette's a great recruiter, great running back in his own right with coach uh, David Cutcliffe. Uh, of course, went Wilson Fike and goes to Duke and um, everybody that I've heard from says, man, Raekwon Boyette is a great recruiter. We talked to him about that in media day. So I'm happy to hear he's going to run him back. He'll do a great job there. And, hey, hire those two coaches. Coach will get it right. Coach Houston will get it right. And um, I'm glad that if it was going to happen, it happens now and not um, in the summertime or something crazy. I know that probably wouldn't happen, but something like that would be, I, I think now you still have a chance to have a spring and uh, give them a chance to come in for fall uh, practice. But we'll see how that goes. Do you guys have anything before we go? I know Simmons is out of here, I believe. No, just looking forward to the next two days. Um, outside of watching the Pirates play, it's my two favorite days of the college basketball season. Um, the Thursday and Friday, the, the first round, it, or I, I guess maybe technically now they call it the second round, but everybody knows it's the, the first round uh, where you have 16 games each day. And uh, just really looking forward to that uh, full day or two full days of basketball. Uh, hopefully we'll see a lot of upsets and would love to see some stories like we had last year where you had St. Peter's making the run to the Elite Eight. Um, we, we'd love to see another uh, year where you had a, a story like a VCU or George Mason, a Butler or someone like that uh, making it all the way to Houston in the Final Four. 
that will be great. That will be a fantastic. In fact, uh, going back to Justin Wright really quick, he said, Alan Vick says, Wright, scrappy plays extremely hard, very high, high basketball IQ, plays much bigger than the 6'2", has a nose for basketball. And JR says, Justin Wright was a, a small forward and played 85% of possible minutes. That's incredible. So uh, must be well-conditioned, obviously. And then shooting 43% from uh, three-point land is uh, something we really, really need. But we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, Bubba, I know that uh, baseball, we got a big series this weekend, right? They want everybody there at Clark McClare Stadium on uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we want everybody to come out and support the Pirates. And I don't know if any tickets are available uh, to those games. Man, the, the weather has not been kind as far as it's been cold. So we'll see how um, that all plays out. But um, I don't know. I think the game is at is 6 o'clock on Friday night off the top of my head. Um, I think that, yeah, 6 o'clock is Missouri State. And uh, 4 o'clock on Saturday and 1 o'clock on Sunday. So make sure you check that. It'll be a lot of fun. And uh, we should we should encourage everybody to go to ecupirates.com or call one 800 ec Or if you're like me, last weekend I couldn't go, unfortunately, to the Liberty Series. And there was a buddy of mine that could take his family. So he did that. And uh, that worked out nicely as my son Alexander had a basketball tournament and I couldn't make it, unfortunately. And the weather, I was going to go to Sunday's game and the weather didn't cooperate. So Bubba, do you have anything before we go? No, just be sure to subscribe on YouTube and um, a lot of excellent content there uh, from the last few days. Um, another episode of absolute empowerment with coach Jeff Connors. You know, uh, he, he's uh, caught up with a, a variety of uh, guests, uh, probably, at least 10 to 15 former East Carolina players uh, from the 90s or um, from the last uh, several years during his second stint as strength coach. And then also um, folks like the most recent guest, Bob Alejo, uh, you know, who's uh, very well known and a legend in the strength and conditioning industry, um, having trained gold medalists and then also um, worked with the the Oakland A's and as well as uh, several colleges and universities around the country, uh, be it NC state, I think the Kansas Jayhawks um, and Cal state Northridge. Uh, he's, he's been all over the place and uh, done an excellent job wherever he's been, but then uh, go back and check out those interviews. Also earlier today, uh, due to his travel schedule, uh, caught up with Mac McCarthy this morning and uh, enjoy that half hour conversation with Coach Mack, pretty much anywhere our uh, podcast is found on uh, traditional podcast platforms or Facebook and YouTube. No doubt. We'll thank our sponsors, too, for extra innings. We'll have that for you. We should have it for you on Sunday night. We'll see how our schedules go. But want to thank our good friends at Next Level Training Center. Trent Britt, saw him on Sunday night. Uh, appreciate him and uh, Gaynell so much. They are so good to us. NextLevelTC.com. And you can give them a call, 252-756-NEXT. And also, check out their social media. Their Facebook is uh, incredible. And they put a lot of stuff up there about maybe different camps or different things, clinics they've got going on. And I'm going to tell you something. If you want to be participate, those fill up extremely fast. So uh, give them a call. And maybe they can tell you some stuff coming up, 252-756-NEXT.
My son wants to be a pitcher. So um, that's something I got to look at uh, doing if it's not for the springtime and the summertime is to work on him being a pitcher, something he wants really, really bad. And uh, hopefully that'll happen. Thanks to Tritt and Gaynell Brett. Again, nextleveltc.com. Call them 252-756-NEXT. And Bubba, pgxgloves.com. We love them. want to thank Mark Minikazi for all the support of the program. Yeah, I actually caught up with uh, Mark Minikazi earlier today. Kaz will be coming on the show in the next week or two. You know, he's been actually coaching uh, coaching a, a, a Japanese team, of all really? things, uh, out in Arizona during spring training. Uh, he's, he, he said he's uh, managing that Japanese wow. prospect team who tours and plays all all the organizations that are out there in the, the Cactus League. So um, we'll be interesting to hear Kaz talk about that as well as him managing in the Atlantic League of Independent Baseball uh, this year. He's going to be in Frederick, Maryland. That's going to be so cool. Can't wait to have him back on. And again, pjxgloves.com. You just enter promo code ECU and you get 25% off. In fact, um, I got to do that because baseball season and softball is literally, and uh, for baseball, it's one week for me and practicing for softballs in a couple weeks for McKenzie. Um, they have, the kids love their gloves, the custom batting gloves we got um, for them, and the other baseball gloves were really cool. Uh, they still have those from a couple years ago. So thanks to Mark Minikazi for helping me out personally. My kids think I'm the coolest dad ever. So pgxgloves.com. All right, Bubba, let's get out of here. Thanks to David Glenn. Uh, appreciate him from chapelboro.com and formerly of the David Glenn Show. And Bubba, do you have anything else? Make sure you get those ECU football season tickets, ecupirates.com or 1-800-DAL-ECU. The uh, goal set by John Gilbert and uh, Ryan Robinson in the athletic department is 16000 uh, which is a, a minimal increase from a season ago, obviously six games as opposed to seven. And, um, you know, I, I've heard some folks talk about, oh, it's not a, an appealing schedule, this and that. Well, the Pirates have won 15 games over the last two years, uh, won a bowl game for the first time uh, in in nine years. So support the program and do everything you can to help um, the Pirate cause. And uh, you know, I don't want to hear uh, about the, um, the schedule. And the schedule is what it is. Um, in, in that case, you know, pack the stadium and let, let's win a lot of football games and and um, let's win a conference championship and, and let's start stacking some, uh, you know, 10 plus win seasons and conference titles. And then maybe the Pirates will have other opportunities coming their way. And in the meantime, you know, that's all we can do. That's right. Give it to Pirates Unite. That great uh, capital. And, um, and, um, and also, as far as the season ticket update, as of about a week or week and a half ago, we were between 4,000 and 4,100. Uh, so, that was, you know, as of about March 8th, uh, we were um, between four and 4,100 season tickets sold. Yeah, let's do it. one 800 ecu or go to ecupirates.com. It's very easy. I even learned how to transfer my tickets last week for my baseball. Uh, first time I've ever done that. So, Bubba, I know how to do that now. I'm learning on the, the website how to um, be an old dog, learning new tricks. All right, again, thanks to David Glenn. Thanks to Bubba. Appreciate him twisting the dials and also co-hosting 
Matt, appreciate your brother so much. Uh, Matt Semenza. We'll get out of here. Until next time, you've been watching and listening to the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody, and go Pirates. First down, every touchdown with the cannons blast. Get it on, get it all, get the wave going like a hurricane, y'all make.